Alhamdulillahi wa kafa wa salamun ala ibadihi al-lazeen astafa amma ba'd A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytani l-lazeen bismillahirrahmanirrahim Hal yastabu al-lazeena ya'lamuna wa al-lazeena la ya'lamuna Faqalullahu ta'ala fi ayatul ukhra Innama yakshallaha min ibadihi al-ulama Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun Wa salamun ala al-mursaleen wa alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen Allahumma salli ala sayyidina Muhammad wa ala ali sayyidina Muhammad wa mubarak asalam You and I are living in an age which is known as the age of the end of time The vast majority of the ulama alive today are of the opinion that me and you are living in an age that is at the cusp of the age of Imam Mahdi alayhi salam and ad-dajjal We don't know how long that process will take you can imagine that we have reached the fajr of the coming of the age of Mahdi and Dajjal. How long it will be between fajr and tulu or sunrise or the rise of Mahdi and Dajjal, the Dajjal, nobody knows for sure. It's not like today that we can say there's one and a half hour between fajr and sunrise. But because many, if not most, of the signs of Qiyamah from within the Ummah have already appeared. And the ulama and muhaddisin of all races, ethnicities, persuasions that I have had the opportunity to meet all have a feeling that this is the beginning of the end. Again, that process may take 20 years, that process may take 50 years, that process may take 100 years. Allahu A'lam. But there's a general feeling that it's not going to be something that is going to take a few more centuries. Now, this is an age that even Sayyidina Rasulullah Wasallam used to seek refuge from. He used to make dua, Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min fitnat al-dajjal. That, oh Allah, I seek refuge in you from the fitna of Dajjal. So Allah, we should think that Imam al-Anbiya al-Mursaleen, Sayyidina Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, himself used to seek refuge from this fitna. Then me and you who have such weak iman and such huge taqwa, how are we going to live through this fitna? And as women, how are we going to raise our children? as upright and pious Muslims to encounter this fitna or at least be able to then train their children or grandchildren so that they can encounter this fitna. But in any case, all of us should now try to reach a state in which we are ready and we are prepared. Because then at least we will get some after that niyat, irrespective of when those events may happen. And in this day and age, as we have seen, that when events want are to change and Allah SWT wants to change the halat, it doesn't take long. To change the halat. And if Allah wants to drag out the current state of the Ummah for a very long period of time, then it can be dragged out for a long period of time. Our problem is that we have a distance. There's a distance between us and Allah and there's a distance between us and our deen. There's a widening gap between members of this Ummah and our Rabb. There's a widening gap between us and the khitab of our Rabb, the Qur'an al-Kareem. There's a widening gap between us and the Rasul of our Rabb, Sayyidina Rasulullah and his Sayyidah and his Hadith and his Sunnah. One aspect, one way, it's not the only way, but one way that we can restore and regain our ta'luk with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, our ta'luk with Kitabullah, our ta'luk with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is to increase our ilm. And one way that we have been severed from this deen and from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is our lack of ilm. 
And sometimes this feature is so prominent, surprisingly or ironically, in otherwise Muslims who are otherwise labeled as quote-unquote educated. And interestingly, we have come to an age in which there is a new type of Muslim, which sometimes I call the educated, uneducated Muslim. It means that they are educated in another field of knowledge, whether that is medicine or law or engineering or business or social sciences or humanities or literature or public health or any other area of the liberal arts or sciences. They're educated. They have a university degree. And in Pakistan, a woman with a university degree is automatically going to be considered amongst the educated elites of this country. By very definition, the vast majority of you, because you fall in that category, you are ahli ilm. You are the educated elite of this country because less than 10% of women in Pakistan have a university degree. Maybe 10 to 20% of women. But notwithstanding that education, we are uneducated when it comes to our deen. Or we are not deeply educated when it comes to our deen. We're not at that level of ilm in which we have reflection, we have contemplation, we have deliberation, we have collaboration, we have tolerance, we have hilm, we have sabr. We have that ilm in which we have tanqeed and we have itraz and we have a superficial level of ilm. This something is something that is perpetuated through our educational system and particularly the educated people's educational system, which is namely O-levels and A-levels. So for example, if you look at O-levels, and many of you sitting here may have gone through that system, in O-levels English you are reading some of the great authors of the English tradition. You may be reading Shakespeare, you may be reading Joyce, you may be reading F. Scott Fitzgerald. And in O-levels Islamiyat, you are reading a basic textbook written by Farhanda Noor or some other person, which is based after a system made in the UK. It's not her fault. It's not her fault. And Saab has been in Britain, England. And what is that? That is a baby book that talks yet again about the five fillers, yet again about Khulafai Rashidin, etc., etc. So obviously that student who can read Shakespeare in O-levels or other great masters of literature, they need to engage Islam at at least an equal level of sophistication. But when they do that baby book in Islamiyad and they never touch it again in A-levels, and unfortunately many places at the university level, even their Islamic studies course is sorely lacking, then it's only natural that the educated person begins to feel a gap from the deen of Islam. Some people never ever even get a chance to revisit the deen of Islam after that. So by the end of their undergraduate degree, they have studied so many non-religious, secular, irreligious, sometimes anti-religious philosophies and ideologies at such a level of sophistication that they're no longer able to even understand the deen, to identify with the deen, to respond to those other ideologies because they've not studied wahi revelation, the Qur'an al-Kareem or the Sunnah of Nabi al-Kareem at that same level of depth and sophistication. So, how did this happen? Basically, what happened is that we became orphaned from our intellectual tradition. You see, when we were growing up in America, I remember even in high school, let alone in college, Americans have this view 
Notwithstanding the fact that America declared independence in 1776, they traced themselves back, way back. They claim the entire Western tradition. They claim the entire European tradition. They claim Americans feel that their heritage is the Renaissance, is the Reformation, is the Enlightenment. Then they go further, they go all the way back to Athens. And when you go to university, in order to be called educated in a liberal arts sense in America, you have to study Plato and Aristotle and Machiavelli and Hobbes and Locke and Rousseau and Marx and Tocqueville and Weber and all of them. And they proudly read and study and reflect over all of the intellectual masters of their tradition. Now, does it mean not everybody necessarily agrees with Aristotle's idea of virtue? Not everybody necessarily becomes a Marxist. That's not what they're saying. But in order to be quote-unquote educated, they feel that you must have read the masters. You must be well-versed in your tradition. Whereas in the Muslim world, we think that we can be quote-unquote educated when we have never even read the Qur'an al-Karim properly. We have never even read the Sirah or Sunnah or Hadith of Nabi Karim We've never read one line of Ghazali. We've never read one poem of Rumi. We are completely oblivious to Imam Shafi. We have not studied Ibn Taymiyyah. We have not read Sheikh Abdul Qadir Jilani. Even in the West, courses, degrees, PhDs are being done at Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Oxford, Cambridge, all of them. On Ghazali, on Shafi, on Rumi. Even they have a better appreciation for our intellectual tradition than we do. But the reality is, is if, if we were ever to reclaim our intellectual heritage, if we were ever to engage in the understanding of the ulama of our intellectual tradition, we would see that our ulama understand our tradition far, far greater than the professors in the West are ever able to. So our Ummah, Ummah Mustafa, that Ummah that was chosen to be the last and final Ummah, that Ummah that was chosen to be the greatest and most glorious Ummah, that Ummah that has been bestowed upon the greatest of Ulama more than any other Nabi, more than any other Ummah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has bestowed our Ummah with the greatest of Ulama. That is why Sayyidina Rasulullah said, Al-Ulama Uwarathul Anbiya, that the ulama are the heirs and inheritors of the prophets. And me and you, that ummati, that member of ummati Mustafa, we have chosen to voluntarily orphan ourselves from our tradition. So it means that one of the major things we need to regain, both for our own individual thought, look with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, our own talaq with the deen. And if this ummah is to have a chance, and if we want to be part of families and communities that have a chance of saving ourselves from the fitna of the job, we have to reclaim our academic tradition. We have to increase in our ilm, in our talaq for the ilm, in our adab of learning, in our adab towards the ilm. Now Sayyidina Rasulullah said, a beautiful hadith, just a few words. And he said, Al-ilmu nurun. Al-ilmu nur 
that what is ill? Is this an intellectual definition of ill? No. This is a spiritual understanding of ill. Ill is nur. Allah. Nur. That is one of the names that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala nur Nur samawati wal ard. And the same word is being used for al-ilm, for knowledge of the deen is nur, is illumination. Mufti Muhammad Shafi ta'ala, when commenting on this hadith, he said there are two words that come from this root, ayn, lam, and mim. One is ilm and ulum, and the second is ma'lumat. And in English, these two can roughly correspond to knowledge and information. And very simply, in Urdu, information means janna, and knowledge means manna. Information means janna, and knowledge means manna. Information means to know about something, and knowledge means to accept, internalize, adopt something. Now me and you have a lot of information about Islam. A lot of information. A lot of ma'lumat. But we don't have ilm about Islam. And again, that's that hadith. Al-ilmu nur. What is nur? Ilm is that nur that when it enters the heart of a human being, it permeates that heart with the nur that demands that that human being and their entire philosophy their entire body, their entire being submit to that knowledge. Ilm is the name of that light that when it penetrates into the breast of a human being, it makes that whole person's being submit to that knowledge. That person's being becomes munawwar bil ilm. That person's entire being becomes illuminated with that ilm. And that means that it proceeds and necessarily emanates in amal with ikhlas. Ilm is that nur that necessarily leads to amal, istiqamat, and ikhlas. When we think about that, right, that we don't have that ikhlas, we don't have that istiqamat, it means that basically what we have is ma'lumat. And if you look at even just this as an example, to show how great the Islamic tradition is, the Islamic understanding of ilm, this concept of ilm nur is much more robust and intense than any secular philosophy of knowledge. So the hadith tells us that ilm is nur. And Allah subhanahu wa in the Quran mentions another attribute of ilm. Allah subhanahu wa says in the Quran, أَعُوذُ بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ إِنَّمَا يَخْشَى اللَّهَ مِنْ إِبَادِهِ الْأُلَمَاءِ إِنَّمَا means indeed, verily. We really we should translate this actually from the middle. Min ibad. Ibad means first of all from those people of ibadat. From those mu'mineen who have actually succeeded in becoming people of ibadah. People of salah. People of worship. Min means comes from tabiyiz. It means from them. Ba'az of the ibad. Some of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's worshippers. Who is that some? Al-ulama. So it means here that Allah is making it clear that ilm is predicated on ibadah. Ulama is a word in the Quran that is denoting a subset of ibad. 
But that's why you can't have what we call an alam bay amal. The ulama are a category of the ibad. From amongst the ibad of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there is a group of people called the ulama. So this is the nisbat between ilm and ibadah. And secondly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says what? Innama yakhshallah, yakhshallah. That they are the ones who have the most fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The most khashiyah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Imam al explained this. And he said that an alim is that person who knows. What is the ilm that they have? The ilm that they have is that they know what the effects of sins are. They know what the effect of the disobedience of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. They know that the effect of the sins and ma'siyat and disobedience is that a gap is created between us and Allah They realize that. They know that intimately. And that is why they have fear. Because they know now where some of us may be in obliviously or blithely committing sin. The ulama according to Imam Ghazali are those people who know the effect of sins. Know that deviation from Allah Taala's pleasure creates a gap between us and Allah Taala, Which is exactly opposite of what Allah Ta'ala wants. Allah says in Quran, فَإِنِّي قريب, That know that indeed, verily, I am intimately close to you. Allah Taala wants qurb. Khashiyah means that that is a fear. It's not a fear of something that is terrible or a fear of something that is scary. Khashiyah means a fear of losing one's beloved. A fear of being distant from the qurb of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. A fear of losing out on that qurb of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is khashiyah. Every single lover's greatest fear is that their beloved will not love them back. Because and every muhib wants to become mahboob. Every lover wants to become beloved. So that fear of the lover, that their beloved will not love them back, that is khashiyah. That is what the fear of Allah subhanahu wa is. And that fear lies most in those people who have ill. So the Islamic understanding of ilm clearly from Hadith and Quran is spiritual. It's not an intellectual understanding of ilm. Ilm is that nur that when it entered into our heart, we're able to perceive the hakikat, the marifat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To understand and appreciate the ma'iyat and the qurb of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then the prospect of perhaps losing that, the prospect of living without that, is going to make us have khashiyah to have this fear. So this is our understanding of ilm. And ilm then, because it leads to this khashiyah, and then if out of that fear, a person is able to not lose it, and the person is able to retain it and gain it, then that means this ilm brings us to the ultimate treasure. Ilm is the ultimate treasure of the believer. It is our oasis in the desert. So ilm is the oasis in our desert. In another way that ilm is the lost and stray camel of the believer. That is what we have done. Ilm was our guide, was our hadi. And we have lost our camel and we are trying to wander alone in the desert. Another way you can understand ilm is to understand 
after Quran, after Hadith, to understand and look at the understanding that ulama had of ilm. Imam al-Ghazali, rahimahullah. And many people misunderstand, and this is another big tragedy. Do we take our understanding of the, our own ulama recycled from the Western academic tradition? Therefore, people know so much that, oh, Imam al-Ghazali refuted philosophy, and Imam al-Ghazali studied the Western or non-Islamic sciences, he studied Greek philosophy. This is not the important thing about Imam al-Ghazali. This is not his understanding. First of all, Imam al-Ghazali is a perfect way for us to understand what is the relationship of a mu'min with non-Islamic ilm. The relationship of a mu'min to that is first they must have a solid ilm of their own being. When, if and when they have a solid ilm in their own being, like Imam al-Ghazali did, then they can go and read ilm that is coming from outside of the being. And the way they will do that is they will take that part of it that is acceptable to our deen and they will leave that part of it that is unacceptable to our deen. They will even refute that part of it that is unacceptable to our deen. So that is what Imam Ghazali did, certainly. But this was not the crux of his work. Imam Ghazali's most important thing is that he wrote a book which he titled, even the title of the book is going to tell us how he understands ilm. He called it Ihya Ulum al-Din. Ihya, the revival, to bring back to Haya, to breathe life back into what the ulum of the deen, the knowledge of deen. And what does he write about in that? Forty books in that. They've been printed and published in four volumes or eight volumes. Forty books. In that he does not talking about philosophy or anything. He talks almost all about spiritual ilm. A whole book on tawakkul. A whole book on mujahidatul nafs. A whole book on remembrance of death, dhikratul maut. A whole book on remembering the akhirah. This is what he viewed as the ulum of the deen. And this is what he felt needed to be revived. When he was done with these 40 books, when he felt that he had revived the ulum of the deen in the hearts of the people, then just as a cherry on the cake, the icing on the cake, the cherry on the top was the Hafat al-Falsifah. After he built the whole imarat of ilm, just to put the lock on the door was the Hafat al-Falsifah, just to shut out the door of false philosophies. So that again is the asl for us. And in this day and age, this is a wonderful sunnah, a precedent set by Imam al that we have to revive the ulum of the deen. And we have to revive them in our heart, and that is the asl fortress. Once that is done, then refutation of secular ideology and philosophy is just a cherry on top. And that cannot even be done until and unless the ulum of the deen are revived and strengthened in our heart. And the way we go about this is another beautiful word in our deen, which is called talab. This is how Sayyidina Rasulullah explained this. Talabul ilmi faridatun ala kulli muslimin wa muslima. That the seeking of ilm, the talab of ilm, 
This is the word that is used in Arabic. To become a talib. To become a talibah. Is an obligation. Is a duty. Is necessary. Is a vital. Is essential. For every single. And when the Prophet singles this out. In the Quran al-Kareem. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does this. And in the hadith. When Sayyidina Rasulullah does this. When they single out and specifically mention. Both genders. They are trying to re-emphasize the fact that that particular concept, be it in Quran or Sunnah, is equally important for women. It's like a special khitab to women. Otherwise, when you just use the masculine plural in Arabic, it includes both men and women, when it's left on its own. So Muslimun means both of us, all of us, men and women Muslims. But when you single out Muslimat, the word Muslimat does not include male Muslims. So when the Prophet said, Kullu Muslimin, it included you. But he added Muslim to further address you. It means seeking knowledge is essential for every woman Muslim. Ilm is essential for every woman Muslim. And talab, being a talibah, that is part of our identity. It's a farizah. It's part of our identity. It's an essential critical identity. Every woman needs to think that I need to start viewing myself as a talibah. I need to live my life as a talibah. This is who I am. This is how my Nabi Kareem sallallahu wished me to be. Many hadith with the Prophet mentioned this. And many hadith in which the Prophet mentioned what we call the virtues, the merits, the belovedness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala of this activity of talab al-ilm. For example, man kana fi talab al-ilmi kana jannatu kanatul jannatu fi talabihi that that person who is in the talab of ilm, that person who is seeking the ilm of the deen, jannat is, becomes her talab. If you become a talab of ilm, you become makloob of jannah. If you become a talab of ilm, jannah becomes talab of you. Imagine that human being, that heart, that jannah is seeking that person. Jannah is yearning for that person. Jannah is wanting and awaiting that person. Another day, Sayyidina Rasulullah said, Man kharaja fi talab al-ilmi huwa fi sabilillahi hatta yirja. That person who leaves this khuruj for the sake of seeking knowledge. So let's say it just means they leave their home for a 20 minute drive. Whether it is 2-3 hours a day or 2-3 times a week. Or whether they make hijrat for years and years. Whether they leave their homeland. As the great ulama of the past did what was called rihla. But any way we can do this amal, we will fall under this hadith. Any person who leaves. For what? We talab al-ilm. In the seeking of knowledge. That that person is called what? Fi sabilillah. This is a construct used in the Qur'an. And remember, Sayyidina Rasulullah was a a'lam al-Qur'an. He was the most knowledgeable of Qur'an. 
So when the Prophet uses the same constructs in Quran for something, he is doing that knowingly. He is doing that pointedly. Fi sabilillah is used in Quran for jihad. And the Prophet knows that better than you and me did. And he is using this same construct, fi sabilillah, for that woman who leaves her house for a few hours a week, or a few days a week, seeking ill. And they remain in that state. They remain in that state of pleasure until they return. And this is all these hadith are about, about the talab. They're not about getting the ill. They're not about having the ill. They're not about reflecting upon the ill. They're not about writing the ill. They're not about teaching the ill. All of this is just about the ibtida or the beginning of the journey. Which is talab ill, wanting the ill, seeking the ill, striving for the ill. Another famous hadith, the Prophet said that the angels, the malaika, spread their wings at the feet, and here it also says, "Kulli Muslimin wa Muslima," every male Muslim and female Muslim who has gone out or exited or left their home in Talab-i-Ilm, in the quest for knowledge. You know, either way, whether one takes that literally or figuratively or both, that's also an incredible hadith. The malaika, the angels, who are ibad, they are also ibadullah. Even they fear that that man or woman who is leaving their house for the sake of seeking knowledge is worthy of respecting, worthy of honoring. Another day, the Prophet said, the fish, and the fish is just a metaphor for the entire animal kingdom. Makhluk, in other words, make dua for that person who is seeking ill. So now if you think about it, just like our understanding of ilm is so different from that of the West, our understanding of talaba ilm, or being a talaba of ilm, or being a student is also totally different from that in the West. And again, what was this? This is all spiritual. That Jannat is doing talab, that you're in Fisabilillah, that the angels spread their wings, makhluk makes dua. All of these things are again spiritual. Spiritual understanding of what it means to be a seeker of Islamic knowledge. Totally different concept of studenthood, or studentdom, or studentship. The Islamic concept of being a student is phenomenal. And the Prophet then emphasized that. That you have to seek ilm. Utlubul ilm, you must do talab of ilm from what? From the cradle to the grave. It's a lifelong process. That's when I, when I say it's part of our identity. It's a sifat that is supposed to last with us. So it means that not only do we have to adopt and absorb and embrace this identity of being a Taliban, we can never ever lose this identity. Because the Prophet do it up till the grave. So we can't take off. We always and always have to be a Taliban. 
And that's the gift, that's the mercy of Allah. Why in the world we want to stop being a Taliban? When there's so many virtues, so much pleasure, so much belovedness in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's eyes. We would never want to lose that. And really because a person who is a Talib of the ilm of the deen is actually a Talib of Allah. So this is the Islamic concept of ilm. This is the Islamic concept of Talib ilm. Number three. The Islam has its own concept of the institution of ilm. Which is called the Madrasa. The Madrasa is not a new institution. The Madrasa has its, its origins in our tradition. The Madrasa goes back all the way to the time of Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu And anytime we begin any venture in Islamic learning, we are actually connecting ourselves back to a continuous and unbroken chain and series of efforts of collective Islamic learning that goes right back, trace back to the Prophet ﷺ. So you begin, Sayyidina Rasulullah in the Makki period, the, our beloved messenger ﷺ, the Sahaba Karam, radiallahu ta'ala anhum ajma'in. What happened to them in the beginning? They were persecuted, they were prosecuted, they were oppressed. But nonetheless, they would do khuruj, they would leave their homes. Why? In talab ilm where they would gather in Dal Alkam, which now is even part of the Haram, it's part of the structure that they built around the Kaaba. They used to gather in Dal Alkam, that's the first madrasa of the deen of Islam, that they made, they picked the house of a person. They picked a home of a person. They used to leave their homes and go to the home of a person. But to acquire sacred knowledge, the knowledge of the deen. And to be instructed and guided and purified. Tazkiyah, we use a kihim by Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Allah Ta'ala says in Quran, what do you have to do? وَيَتُّ alayhim ayatihi. The Prophet used to recite verses to them in Dar al-Arqam, amongst other places, but also in Dar al-Arqam. وَيُزَكِّهِمْ purifying them. That also took place in the Arkham. وَيُعَلِّمُهُمُ الْكِتَابَ وَالْحِكْمَةَ يُعَلِّمْ Teach them. Impart ill. That also took place in the Arkham. To set up a focal point. That is what a madrasa is. Then when the Prophet migrated to Medina Manawara, then Allah subhanahu gave something even more incredible. That was Masjid al-Nabu. That is Ashab al-Sufa. They are those people who spent every, tried to spend every single second of their life with the Prophet ﷺ. They were full-time Talib. On-call Talib. 24-hour Talib. And Allah Ta'ala has given them a special kabuli. Their fazilat is separate. The fazilat of the Ashab al-Sufa. Very famous part of our deen. And when you look at the stories of the Sahaba Kiram, Radiallahu Ta'ala Anhum Ajmain, and their love for ill, Allahu Akbar, Sayyidina Abu Huraira Radiallahu Ta'ala Anhum, the most well known of the Ashaba Sufa, 
what did Allah Ta'ala give him? What was that special kabuliyat? He became kathir al riwayah He's the most transmitted the most ahadith. The number one narrator of ahadith. The number one transmitter of the sunnah. Allahu Akbar. What an honor. What a fazima. On what basis did he get that? Due to his talib of ill. Because he was a talib. He embraced his identity as a talib. Sayyidina Ubay ibn Iqab, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. If Sayyidina Abu Huraira was talib of sunnah, Sayyidina Ubay ibn Iqab, was talib of wahi, talib of Quran, tari of Quran. Allahu Akbar. In Sahih Bukhari, a hadith has been narrated that the Prophet called Ubay ibn Iqab and told him that I want you to recite Quran. And he said it in a certain special way. This was the Sahaba, they could tell the andaz of the Prophet Just the way the Prophet looked at him when he asked that question. These things are not captured in the text of the Hadith. These things are not captured on paper. That if you read the Hadith closely, you will see that there is much more going on than the words. And therefore there is much more than we, we have to receive than just the words. So Sayyidina Abayyam asked the Prophet on his own, seeing the way the Prophet was looking at him, seeing the way the Prophet addressed him. He said, Allahu Sammani, that did Allah SWT take my name? Has Allah SWT asked me to recite by name? And Sayyidina Rasulullah said, No. Yes, Allah Ta'ala took your name. Allah Allah Ta'ala took your name and Allah Ta'ala told me, in the Prophet Sallallahu Oh my beloved Messenger Sallallahu you will listen and I, Allah, will also listen. Can you marry Behub? Aap bhi sunenge? Maybe sunenge. Accepted by Allah Subhanahu Wa A plus students. The most beloved students. Why did he get this fazima? Because he was in such a pakka talam of the Quran. It was his talab. People think it was his karat. It was not his husna karat. It was his talab and ishq for the Quran. So this was the power of their talab. Not even saying the power of their ilm. The power of their talab. The power of their talab raised them up and made them the mahboobiyin. The beloveds of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Why? Because they make sacrifices. They sacrifice for the sake of this ill. They sacrifice for the sake of this talab. They sacrifice their time. It comes about Ashab al-Sufa that they, many of them were fuqara. They were poor people. They were mustahikul zakat. They used to live on sadaqah. Really, you know, if you go to the mother says it's the same thing. It's the same sunnah. People like to take a sociological look on that and say, oh, most of the mother says people are from the lower economic class. It's not a sociological phenomenon, it's a sunnah phenomenon. The majority of Ashab al-Sufa were fuqara. The majority of talaba throughout Islam have been fuqara. Had little money, little clothing, 
Some of them even had enough clothing to cover their aura, but they weren't not able to cover themselves fully to their wrist and to their ankle. And it comes in the books that when Sayyidina Rasulullah used to come out and read the prayer, those couple sahab of Hawasufa who didn't have so much clothing, you know, maybe they had like two chadars or they were like in an ihram type state, or maybe you could see their chest. Because of their hayat, they would hide behind the other sahaba. They would peer out, they would look at the Prophet but they would hide behind the other sahaba. Allah Akbar, can we have? They used to be so hungry. They wouldn't always get the sanaka. Sometimes they would go days without food. These are the people who used to wrap pieces of cloth tightly around their stomach and squeeze it. And when that didn't work, open it, put a stone in. And when that didn't work, put a bigger stone in. They sacrificed their home, sleep, food, ability to earn. Many of them could have earned. Many of them would have been good laborers, good workers could have earned. They sacrificed all of that. Why? Due to their talab. Due to their talab for ilm of the deen. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepted them for khidmat of the deen. Once Sayyidina Abu Huraira, I got a long time without food. I was very hungry. And there was another sahaba who was a well-off sahaba, not a sahaba sufa. And he came and he invited the Prophet ﷺ. And the Prophet ﷺ took Abu Huraira with him. And when they went there, the Prophet ﷺ, the Sahaba gave a big bowl of milk. So Sayyidina Abu Huraira got happy. So the Prophet looked at him and said, go call all of your Ashabu Sufa. Now Abu Huraira narrates that I got a little bit sad. Okay, he went and he called all the Ashabu Sufa. He called all the Ashabu Sufa. It said that Rasulullah drank. And then he gave the bowl to Sayyidina Abu Huraira with the and then he told him that you should take it to everyone. Give it to everyone, bari bari, to drink. So he gave it to one and he drank. And then the Prophet told that Sahaba, no, 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 drink to your full. That Sahaba drank to his full. Then Abu Huraira gave it to the next Sahaba. Just like that, the Prophet told all of them to drink to their fill. Abu Huraira was getting worried. <laughs> more and more started drinking. Less and less will be left over for him. But then he started to get amazed. And then, after Sayyidina Abu Huraira had given milk to everyone, there's an usul and khidmat in the Arabic language called Al-Fadlul Al-Qasim, that the leftover is given to the distributor. What is left, So the Prophet told Sayyidina Abu Huraira that now you can drink. And Sayyidina Abu says, and I drank. And I drank and I drank till my heart's full and then I kept drinking. And even then the milk didn't end. And then the Prophet smiled at me, his big beautiful smile. These were people.
this is our history. The first madrasa with Dar al-Arkam and Masjid Nabwi. The first students, the Sahaba Kiram, radiallahu ta'ala anhum ajma'in. The Nisab of that madrasa, the Qur'an al-Kareem, and the Ustad of that madrasa, Sayyidina Nabiya Kareem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This is our history. This is our deen. This is our asal. To make ourselves a talaba. To go to a place. To study our deen. To have that talab. To have that yearning. To have that ikhlas. And then, like every madrasa, there's an imtihan, an exam. That also Allah Ta'ala said in Quran. What was their exam? Allah Ta'ala says in Quran about the Sahaba Kiram. أُولَٰئِكَ الَّذِينَ مْتَحَنَ اللَّهُ قُلُوبَهُمْ لِلتَّقْوَىٰ that they are the people who Allah SWT tested their kulub, their spiritual hearts with what? What was the question? Taqwa. Allahu Akbar. And they passed with flying colors. The greatest, most muttaqi people. So our niyat in that ilm is to get taqwa. What was the result of that imtihan? That's also in Quran. Exam is mentioned in Quran, and the result of that exam is also in Quran. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is pleased with them. These are special people. is first radiyatan, that they are pleased with Allah. Mardiya, Allah is pleased with them. For Sahabi Kram, first comes radiyallahu anhum. First Allah is pleased with them. What are they on and they are pleased with them? Allah. <laughs> in other words, what did they get? What was the result of that imtihan? What was the inam of them passing the imtihan of taqwa? This rida. What is that? That is the greatest ni'mah of the entire world in Jannah. That is what Allah SWT said in the Quran, Ridwan min Allahi Akbar. The Ridwan, the pleasure from Allah SWT is Akbar, is the greatest blessing. They got that in this world. They got the greatest blessing and bounty of Jannah. They got that in this world. Radiallahu anhu. After the beloved messenger passed, the Sahaba Kiram were accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala due to the ikhlas in their talab to then become teachers. This was a role that was thrust upon them. Not a role that they sought after. Because after the Prophet and Sahaba, a new group of people came on the scene. Known as Tabi'in. People of Ittiba. Who are they? They are the people who just missed the Prophet They were dying to be with the Prophet They never met him. So when they went to the Sahaba, they would say that you saw the Prophet. 
you lived with the Prophet You had the sohba, the company of the Prophet You understood his mizaz. You knew his andas. And you were the talib of the Prophet You learned from the Prophet We're not going to leave you. We are going to do the next best thing. We came to Medina to grab the Prophet And you tell us he passed away yesterday. Therefore, we can no longer be sahaba, we are tabi. So we're going to do the next best thing. We're going to grab him. Now we're going to grab you. You're going to be our teacher. Of the sahaba, all of a sudden, you found role. But they realized that that was the best way to serve the Prophet To spread his legacy. To share his legacy. To carry that mission of Nabuwa onward. Now then this continues and continues and continues. And me and you, we have to also continue. We have to be like them. We have to reattach ourselves to them. In other words, who are we? And what do we have to make ourselves? We are the tabai, 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 etc. Tabai. That's who you are. That's how you should view yourself. Don't think that it stops there, Saba, Tabin, Tabai, Tabin. In terms of a special fazilat, it stops there. But in terms of Tars, in terms of Andals, in terms of our identity, in terms of our role, in terms of our approach, that is the approach. We are part of that Silsalatul Ittiba. And that Silsalatul Ittiba is doing Ittiba of what? Of that Sohba. And that Sohba is linked to that Sunnah. And that is exactly what we're going to do. We're going to join ourselves to that chain of ittiba. Why? Because that chain leads to our ideals. This is our problem that we've forgotten who our ideals are. Most Muslim women never even think who their ideal is. Their ideal is now become an entertainer, a movie star, an actress. Our ideals is Amma Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha. Amma Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha. Bibi Fatima radiallahu ta'ala anha. We are binati Khadija. We are Ummahatul Mu'mineen, right? So the point of declaring them as Ummah is so that you would view yourself as bint. It's not just enough to think of them as mothers. We have to make ourselves their daughters. That is who we are. You are binati Khadija. Your binat Aisha, your binat Hafsa, That is what we are. Can we say that? Is that the life I'm living? When somebody looks at me, do they think ye bint Aisha, ye bint Khadija? Is that what I will appear like on the day of judgment to them? Is that the life I will bring in front of Allah Subhanahu on the day of judgment? We have to make ourselves like that. And Amma Aisha, one of the greatest talibas of the deen, one of the greatest transmitters of the deen, Fakiha, one of the greatest fuqaha of the deen, in the list of the top 20 fuqaha of Sahaba, her name comes. One of the most erudite scholars of the deen. 
to every single place where the Quran, Sunnah and Sharia are taught. Every single place that attaches itself to that silsil of ittiba' and suhbah. Every single place that becomes a center of that talab, of that center of ilm, is actually just a great-great-great-grandchild of Masjid Nabwi. Is a great-great-great-grandchild of Dar al-Arkab. Because the, you can imagine that Masjid Nabwi and the Ashab al-Sufa and the Prophet left a son of knowledge. And the rays of that sun have reached the four corners of the world. And tonight the rays of the sun of Masjid Nabwi have landed here. Tonight we are beginning this Tilsala here in this house with these women. Why? Because the niyat is this. And this is our other difference with the West. That the asal in our deen is ilm not for the sake of intellectual erudition. But ilm for the sake of islah, tazkiyah and tarbiyah. In the West there is ta'lim without tarbiyah. And we have the problem that Muslims are now also imparting classical learning without tarbiyah. No, no, no. Dar al-Arkam was not ta'lim without tarbiyah. It was ta'lim, tarbiyah and tazkiyah. Masjid al-Nabi was not ta'lim without tarbiyah. It was ta'lim, tarbiyah and tazkiyah. Inshallah Aziz, our niyat is also that we want to make ourselves people who receive ta'lim, tarbiyah and tazkiyah. Because the real purpose, the niyat of that talab ilm is that I want to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I want to learn that knowledge that will make me pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I want to learn that ilm that will be able to purify my heart. إِلَّا مَنْ بِقَلْبٍ The only person who will succeed on that day of judgment is the person who comes to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with a qalbun salim, with a pure and untainted heart. And in order to do that, I need to seek, I need to ask. فَاسْأَلُوا أَهْلَ الذِّكْرِ إِن كُنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ إِن كُنْتُمْ لَا تَعْلَمُونَ If I don't have the ill, فَاسْأَلُوا Allah says, ask the Ahl al-Dhikr, the people of remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is what we want to do. One of the most famous histories of Madrasa, one of the greatest institutes of Islamic learning in the history of our deen, was set by Nizam al-Mulk. Nizam al-Mulk decided and there have been different people who have tried to do this in different eras of our deen. He felt that in order to revive the deen in his time, we need to establish once again centers of Islamic learning. Now unlike today in this day and age where we cannot do it at that scale, that was an age of the height of Islamic civilization. So there was patronage, endowment, awqaf. So he made academies of Islamic learning throughout the Muslim world. The most prominent of which, which is in Baghdad, known as Madrasa Nizamiya. And it became a famous place of learning. And students from all over the Muslim world would come there to learn. Now one day, somebody told Nizam al-Mulk that, you know, this Madrasa that you opened up and all these students are studying there and you're so happy about that. Well, you know, most of them, their intentions are pure. 
Most of them are there for material reasons. He was stunned. So he thought to himself, I'll go one day and check it out myself. So Nizamul went one day to his mother's house. And this was in that pure day before photography and video. So nobody knows what anybody else looks like, right? None of the students knew that that was the person who, that was Nizamul So he went and he started going up to one student after another and started asking them. So he asked one student that, oh, you know, mashallah, you're studying. Why are you here? They said that, oh, my father is Imam of the Masjid. And the people in the masjid, they really respect the imam and khatib. So I also want to become imam and khatib so that people will respect me. Oh, <laughs> bad meal. Went to another person said, why are you here? He said, oh, I saw in my town the mufti and the qazi. There's a lot of respect. People give him gifts. I want to be like that. I want to become a mufti and a qazi so people will give me gifts. Just like that, he went to one after the other and everyone had this niyat. So he made niyat in his heart. And this also shows you how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the master guider. At that moment, Nizamul himself, a mukhlis ruler, which is, that is a separate story, but the fazilat of a mukhlis ruler in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's eyes is also immense. Maybe one of the few things that can rival or maybe even surpass the mukhlis talib is the mukhlis ruler. But that's a separate topic. But here in Nizam al-Mukh, that mukhlis ruler made a niyat in his heart. And the niyat in his heart was that if all of these people are here for the bad reason, I will close this madrasah out. He turned around and exited the madrasah. On his way out, he saw another young man. And now he had been there for so long, it was now nighttime. And this young man was studying by the light of an oil lamp Lantern, you can call it. So he said, okay, let me ask one more person. I will tell the story like this, that Allah Ta'ala put in in Nizamul Mulk's heart. After Nizamul Mulk had made that niyat, Allah Ta'ala put in his heart to ask this one more student. So he went to the student and said, that, oh yeah man, why are you studying? Why did you come here? The young man looked up and said, none of your business, went back to studying. And he asked again, then why are you here? Why are you studying? And he kept asking, and the young man realized that the quickest way to get rid of this person was to give them an answer. So he said, that, oh, old man, <laughs> oh, old man, I don't have time to answer your questions, but since you're being so persistent, it's very simple, that I want to learn how to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I want to learn how to lead that life that will please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That knowledge is in these books. So please, let me go back to my books. That was enough. Nizam al-Mukhtin changed his niyat and his heart. And he said, as long as there is at least one student who has that intention, I'm happy to keep this mother Sarvani. That student grew up. His name was Abu Hamid, otherwise known to you as Imam Abu Hamid al-Ghazali, rahimahullah ta'ala, who Allah Ta'ala then granted him such kubuliyat he wrote that book, Ihya Ulumuddin, which is a continual source of guidance for Muslims all over the world in Arabic, Urdu, Malaysian, English, countless languages it has been translated into. So we are far, far inferior than Nizam al-Mulk. So if for Nizam al-Mulk, even one student with a sincere intention was sufficient, 
So we can also make that same link. But as long as there's at least one woman who wants to start this journey of learning with simply that niyyah, that I want to learn how to make myself pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That would be sufficient. And along with that ilm, so you see again that how does Imam Ghazali conceive of ilm even when he was a student? He conceived of ilm as that thing which will guide me to the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Another great person, even earlier, far earlier, from the Tabai Tabin, Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal, Rahimahullah ta'ala. He used to go sit in the company of a Shaykh known as Bishr Hafi. So one time the students, the Shagirds, the students of Imam Ahmad bin Hanbal asked him, that Ustad Shaykh, and Imam Muhammad was Fakih Muhaddith, one of the greatest fuqaha and one of the greatest muhaddisin. But why do you go and spend time in the sobat in the company of Bishr Hafi? So Imam Ahmad bin Muhammad pointed out, and he wrote, and he said something, which is worth being written in gold. He said, Ana alimun bi kitabillah. I am an alim of the book of Allah. Wuhuwa alimun billah. And he is an alim of Allah. Another type of ilm. Another type of ilm. Imam Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali has written a whole small book on a shara, a commentary on that hadith. Al-Ulama'u Warathat Anbiya. And he calls this ilmul zahir and ilmul batin. That one thing is ilmul zahir, that is ilm of Quran, Sunnah, and Sharia. And the second is ilmul batin, that is marifat, that is knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of the ma'iyat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of the qurm of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Ibn al-Rajab al-Hanmali, writes in that book, that really the true seeker of knowledge is the one who is seeking both. Both the outer knowledge and both the inner knowledge. So that is our need. That we want to become a talib of both the outer knowledge and the inner knowledge. Even Allah subhanahu wa does ishara to that inner knowledge in Quran. He says in Quran, Al-Rahmanu fas'an bihi khabira Al-Rahman Allah declares himself to be Al-Rahman. He speaks in this khitab, Ar-Rahman, I am Ar-Rahman. And then addresses the muqattim and says, if you want to know what that means, what impact should this statement, Ar-Rahman, have on you? First, I'll go ask someone. If you don't get it directly, if you're not impacted by the khitab, Ar-Rahman, first, I'll go ask, bihi khabira, that person who has khabar, who is khabir, who is deeply informed, has deep khabar, of what it means that Allah is Rahman. That's what Imam Ahmed was saying, Allah is saying in Quran, Fas'al bihi khabira. Go ask that person who is alimun billah. Ask that person who is khabir, who knows deeply and intimately what it means that Allah is Ar-Rahman. And how the fact that Allah is Rahman should change our behavior, should transform us. Fas'al bihi khabira. Allahu Akbar.
And in this ummah there have been many great female ulama. Imam Ghazai, Imam Ahmed bin Hanbal, thousands. And female ulama also thousands. There is an Alim Malana Akram Nadwi who currently lives in Oxford. He's written a book containing just the biographies of the women scholars of this ummah. And that book is now running into 40 volumes. And the first volume of that, which is the introduction, has been published and released in English now. And if you read that, he tells stories of these great alimas, such as Zainab binti Fatima, such as Zainab binti Kamal. These were scholars of hadith used to teach Bukhari, used to teach Tahawi. There's another great book of hadith, Sadal Ma'ani al-Athar. And one of the greatest female scholars is Ummahani. Ummahani was a big alima. But more than that, she was a wise mother. And she had four sons. And she made all four of her sons alim of the Quran, alim of the Sunnah, alim of the Hadith. Then she made one son specialized in Hanafi usul and fiqh. She made a second son, Umm Hanim ibn Qahira, early Cairo. She made a second son, specialized in Maliki usul and fiqh. She made a third son, specialized in Shafi usul and fiqh. And she made a fourth son, specialized in Hanbali usul and fiqh. This is what it means. This is our tradition, this is the Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah. Who are the Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah? Very simply, they are those people who accept the tafsir of all the mufassirin. They accept as valid. They may do amal on one particular call. They may prefer one particular call. But they accept as valid the tafsir of all of the mufassirin. They accept as valid the work of all of the muhaddithin. They accept as valid the ijtihad of all of the fuqaha. They accept as valid the usul of all of the usuliyin, and they accept as valid the methods of tizkiyah of all of the awliya ikramadin. This is an ocean of knowledge. This tradition of Ahmad Sunnah Muljamaat is like an ocean. Anyone who drinks from that ocean, whether they drink from this part of that ocean or that part of the ocean, they are part of Ahmad Sunnah Muljamaat. And we love them. And they are ours. And we are theirs. This is how we should move. Imam Shafi is ours. Imam Ibn Taymiyyah is ours. Imam Ghazali is ours. Imam Abdul Qadir Jinani is ours. Imam Bukhari is ours. And we are theirs. That is what it means to embrace your tradition. The richness and diversity of our tradition. The pluralism and robustness of our tradition. That was what Ummahani understood when she trained her sons in this way. And we have reached this age in which we need women like that to be born again. We need women who are mothers to their sons like Ummahani was a mother to her son. We need women who are sisters to their brothers like the sister Sayyidina Umar ta'ala anhu was a sister to her brother. We need women who are wives to their husbands, 
like Amma Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha was a wife to her husband. And the asal of all of this is tarbiyah. And we'll end with a beautiful verse in the Quran of Kareem in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes it clear. And if you listen to this verse, you will see carefully what is the purpose of ta'lim and ta'allum and what is the purpose of tadris. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, Kunu rabbaniyina Kunu rabbaniyin Become people of Allah. Rabbaniyin means rab wale, means Allah wale. Sidi sibata. Kunu rabbaniyin Become Allah wale. Bima kuntum tu'allimunu kitab By virtue of the tu'allimun, by virtue of the ilm, the ta'lim and ta'allum you do of the Quran, وَبِمَا كُنْتُمْ تَدْرِسُونَ And on the basis of your dars and tadris. So Allah SWT is saying in the Qur'an that the whole purpose of ta'lim and ta'allum, the whole purpose of receiving and learning, the whole purpose of dars and tadris, the whole purpose of instructing and imparting, and the whole purpose of acquiring, being on the acquiring and seeking end of that, what is the purpose of all of that? كُنُوا رَبَّانِيِّينَ That become Allah wale. Become Rabb wale, become Qurb wale, become Marfat wale, become Muhammad wale, become Taqwa wale. Kunu Rabbani yeen. The asal is tarbiyah, the asal is Islam. So this is our niyat and we end on this niyat tonight. Ya Allah, we have gathered here tonight to begin a silsila of ta'aleem and ta'allam, to begin a silsila of dars and tadris, to begin a silsila of ta'aleem and tarbiyah, to begin a silsila of tazkiyah and islah. Why? Because we want this. We want this to be one of the ways that we do amal on this verse. Kunu rabbaniyin. Allah Ta'ala, you told us in Quran, be rabbaniyin. We are saying labbaik to that hukam. We are saying labbaik to that amr. We are saying labbaik to that khitab. We are presenting ourselves, Ya Allah, that we also want to become rabbali. We also want to become Allah wale. We also want our hearts to become manawar with the ilm of the nur. We also want our lives to become manawar with the ilm of the nur. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept this niyat from us. May Allah ta'ala put barakah in this venture. Wa akhirun ma'wana alhamdulillah. La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah subhanahu wa ta'ala alayhi Allahumma salli ala sayyidina Muhammad wa ala ala sayyidina Muhammad wa mabarak wa sallam. ربنا ظلمنا أنفسنا وإن لم تغفر لنا وترحمنا لنكونن من الخاسرين ربنا يا الله يا رب كريم يا الله you have granted us each and every bounty and blessing from the moment we were born يا الله you have granted us our intelligence يا الله you have granted us learning يا رب كريم ظلمنا أنفسنا يا الله we have wronged ourselves we have sold ourselves short يا الله we have chased after the false knowledges and ideologies of this world Ya Rabbi Kareem, we turn to you tonight in istighfar. We turn to you tonight in tawbah. Ya Allah, we wish to use all our energies for talab of the ilm of the deen. Ya Allah, we ask that you accept us amongst the talibat and talibin. Ya Allah, we ask you to accept our name amongst the ranks of the seekers of this deen. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we have no other intention except to earn your pleasure. Ya Allah, we have no other intention except to obtain your qurb. Ya Allah, we have no other intention except to earn your rava and your ma'iyat. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask that you accept this niyat from us. We ask that you accept this dua from us. Ya Allah, we ask that you make us amongst the Rabbaniyin. Ya Allah, we ask that you make us amongst the Muttaqeen. 
Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, we have made so much tazkara of these people, these wonderful people who live before us. Ya Allah, surely they're the ones who follow this ayah. They're the ones who follow this ahadith. They're the ones who are people of true talent. Ya Allah, we cannot bring anything to you even remotely compared to them. But Ya Allah, we ask that you accept our love for them. If Ya Allah, accept our love for their sifat. Ya Allah, accept our love for them and due to the barakah of that love, due to the kubuliyat of that love, that we love them for your sake and in your name, that we love them for their talab and their ilm. Ya Allah, we ask you to grant us a drop of their talab and their ilm. We ask you to grant us a drop of their ikhlas and their sit. Ya Allah, we ask you to include us amongst this tradition of learning. Join us amongst this circle of learning. Include us amongst this sulsala of ittiba. Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, Ya Allah, we wish to make ourselves like the binat of Aisha and Khadija. Ya Allah, we want to be true daughters to our mothers. Ya Allah, we want to be true daughters to Sayyidina Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Ya Allah, we want to become loyal to the Sunnah. We want to become loyal to the Quran. We want to become loyal to the Deen. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask you to grant us istikamat. Ya Allah, we ask you to make us steadfast on the Deen. We ask you to grant us quwwata iradi. We ask you to give us willpower to turn the Deen. Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, we are not worthy of this ni'mat. We were not worthy of Iman. We were not worthy of Islam. But Ya Rabbi Kareem, it is your karam and fuzzle that you bestowed it upon us. Ya Allah, now we ask you to grant us the ilm so that we can make our Iman munawwar. Ya Allah, we ask you to grant us the ilm so we can make our Islam munawwar. Ya Allah, we ask you to put the nur of the ilm into our heart. Allahumma inna nas'alakum ilman nafi. Ya Allah, we ask you to grant us knowledge that benefits, knowledge that guides, knowledge that brings us closer to you, knowledge that takes us further from everything that is keeping us from you. Ya Allah, we want to be ba'id from the fitnas. Ya Allah, we want to become ba'id from our sins. Ya Allah, we want to become qareeb to you. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem. Ya Allah, we ask you to save us from the fitna of Dajjal. We ask you to save us from the fitnas around us. Ya Allah, we ask you to save us from the fitna of our nafs. Ya Allah, we ask you to save us from the fitna of shaitan. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask you to keep us in your hifazat. Ya Allah, we place our iman in your hifazat. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask you to grant us yakin in our iman. Ya Allah, we ask you to grant us shawk in our a'mal. Ya Allah, we ask you to grant us halawat in our iman. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask you to grant us lazat in our ibadat. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we ask you to grant us zikr in our qalb, zikr on our lisan. Ya Allah, we want to remember you each and every moment of the day, each and every moment of the night. Let not a single second pass in which we forget you. Ya Rabbi Kareem, we have spent so many years of our life distant from you. So many of years of our life heedless from you. Ya Allah, accept our tawbah on this night. Accept all of the times we have made dua to you. Accept all of the times that we have yearned to you. Ya Rabbi Kareem, Ya Allah, accept our small footsteps. Ya Allah, accept our intentions. Ya Allah, we ask you to run to us. Ya Allah, we ask you to shower us with your mercy. Shower us with your maghfirah. Shower us with your kubuliyat. Ya Allah, we ask you to bless this gathering at home. Ya Allah, we ask you to accept this home for a place for the Qur'an, Sunnah and Sharia. Ya Allah, we ask you to accept this place for a place of islah, tanbiyah and tazkiyah. Ya Allah, we ask you to make this place a child in Darul Arkham. Ya Allah, make this place a child and descendant of Masjid Nabwi. Ya Allah, make it a minara of nur. Ya Allah, make the nur of the people of this place. Ya Allah, make the nur of the students of this place. Ya Allah, spread to the four corners of the world. Ya Allah, Ya Rabbi Kareem, accept our niyat, accept our intentions. Ya Allah, remove any impurity that we have in our heart. 
Ya Allah, accept and purify this amal out of your own mercy and your own rahmah. Rabbana taqabbal minna innaka anta sami'u alim. Kutubu alayna innaka anta tawamu rahim. Sallallahu ta'ala ala habibihi Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. Bi rahmatika ya arhamar rahim.